Welcome to the System Speak podcast, a podcast about dissociative identity disorder. If you are new to the podcast, we recommend starting at the beginning episodes and listen in order to hear our story and what we have learned through this endeavor. Current episodes may be more applicable to longtime listeners and are likely to contain more advanced topics, emotional or other triggering content, and or reference earlier episodes that provide more context to what we are currently learning and experiencing. As always, please care for yourself during and after listening to the podcast. Thank you. Today, we're very excited to share with you an interview with Pat Ogden, PhD, a pioneer in somatic psychology. She is the founder and education director of the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute, an internationally recognized school specializing in somatic cognitive approaches for the treatment of post-traumatic stress and attachment disturbances. Her institute, based in Colorado, has 19 certified trainers who conduct sensory motor psychotherapy trainings of over 400 hours for mental health professionals throughout the USA, Canada, Europe, and Australia. The Institute has certified hundreds of psychotherapists throughout the world in this method. Dr. Ogden is the first author of two groundbreaking books in somatic psychology, Trauma and the Body, a Sensory Motor Approach to Psychotherapy and Sensory Motor Psychotherapy, Interventions for Trauma and Attachment, both published in the Interpersonal Neurobiology series of W.W. Norton. She is currently working on a third book, Sensory Motor Psychotherapy for Children, Adolescents, and Families, with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. Her current interests include sensory motor psychotherapy for groups, couples, children, adolescents, families, embedded relational mindfulness, culture and diversity, challenging clients, the relational nature of shame, presence, consciousness, and the philosophical spiritual principles that guide sensory motor psychotherapy. Welcome, Dr. Ogden. So, hello, everybody. I'm Pat Ogden. I'm the founder of the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. We teach internationally, um, focusing on body-centered psychotherapy, how to work with trauma and early attachment failures uh, through the body. My background is varied. Uh, a big influence was dance, which I, I started when I was seven years old. Um, and that really taught me a lot about being in my body and establishing uh, integration through my posture. Later, I taught yoga and dance at a psychiatric hospital and then met Ron Kurtz, who was my most influential mentor. Uh, he was the first person that I had met that integrated the posture and movement of the body with psychology. And then later, I went on to meet various other influences from Bessel van der Kolk to um, the discipline of Rolfing, um, other dance movement therapies, and um, 
But I would say my biggest teachers have been my clients. Those are the people I've learned the most from. That's beautiful. How did you begin applying what you learned about the body, even from dance and yoga, to trauma work specifically? It's been a, a long journey. I, I was teaching in a psychiatric hospital, um, yoga and dance, in the 19, early 1970s. And then I moved to Colorado, and about 77 or 78, I was asked to be an adjunct therapist for Wardenburg Psychological Services, which serves the University of Colorado students. The people that I was referred were women who were having difficulty with their sexuality. And nobody in the 70s was talking about trauma. Um, Charles Figley's book on Vietnamese on the trauma of war in Vietnam hadn't hadn't come out. If it had come out, it wasn't popular. I hadn't read it yet, anyway. And so, my clients were all traumatized, and I was trying to understand the difference between working with a non-traumatized person um, and what was going on with my clients because there were very dysregulated, and the interventions that I had learned both in social work school and in my alternative studies in psychotherapy weren't effective with these clients. So I remember thinking, I'm just going to try to keep them in their bodies. I'm just going to keep referencing the body and see if they can sense their body. And that was a big turning point for me because they actually started getting better. Whereas before, working with childhood memories and strong emotions, they seemed to be getting more dysregulated. So that taught me a lot about trauma. I would say that was my first really major uh, teaching about how to work with trauma with these patients. How does trauma make someone dysregulated and out of touch with their body? Because we are evolutionarily prepared to respond to threat with instinctive subcortical uh, actions, fight, flight, cry for help, uh, freeze, and feign death are the five instincts, uh, defensive responses to trauma. And those responses bypass our thinking brain. They're subcortical. They enable us to respond instantaneously to threat with action rather than having to go through our, our thinking brain. Um, and they elicit a lot of arousal. You can imagine if you're threatened and you're trying to run away or fight back, your, your body mobilizes a lot of physiological arousal to execute those actions. And on the other hand, if, if those actions are ineffective, we might uh, uh, instinctively engage a feigned death response, which is like playing possum where our arousal goes way down and we become immobilized. After trauma, uh, the arousal, which has risen to the extreme of hyperarousal or dropped to the extreme of hypoarousal, it doesn't come back to, often doesn't come back to normal within that window of tolerance. So most traumatized clients are easily triggered into hyper and hypoarousal. How does reconnecting with your body help regulate that? Because trauma first and foremost impacts the body. 
our physiology, our somatic muscular system. Um, and so we want to work at that level to resolve the body. So in sensory motor psychotherapy, we have interventions that directly target the dysregulated nervous system um, <clears throat> that can help the nervous system stabilize. We work a lot with what we call somatic resources, which are physical actions and movements that help arousal calm down, such as uh, one client's most powerful somatic resource was simply placing her hands on her torso and just feeling the touch of her own hands and that calmed her arousal down. Um, you know, grounding, stomping the feet, um, aligning the spine instead of collapsing, all those are physical actions that can directly impact uh, the effects of trauma. Is It's generalized more than... I mean, it can also be generalized besides just a specific trauma piece to being able to be more present with their body in general. Yes, I think for most most of my traumatized clients, the body's kind of been the battleground, um, and and it hasn't been appealing to sense the body because when a traumatized client senses the body, often what they experience are disturbing sensations that have to do with that dysregulation. So we want to help our clients re-enter the body in a safe and titrated way so that the body actually becomes an ally and a resource instead of the enemy. That's a powerful thing, that what you just said about the body being an ally when we're working with trauma clients whose bodies have been violated or there's also the shame pieces in the relationship aspect and so to think in either way of those to think of that as an ally is a complete shift of perception mm -hmm. exactly and it has a very powerful effect I and mean, we as long as we're alive, we're, we're, in, we're, we're having a body. This is how we experience the world, is through our body. And if your body's the enemy, that can greatly diminish the quality of your life. So how did all of that unfold into becoming sensory motor therapy? 1970s, I met Ron Kurtz, and I moved to Boulder with him and studied with him. He is the, uh, <clears throat> the brains behind the Hakomi method of body-centered psychotherapy, and I apprenticed with Ron. He and I and others founded the Hakomi Institute in 1980. And he and I taught the very first training uh, in 1980 in Hakomi. And in 1981, I remember saying to Ron that I love Hakomi, but I was much more interested in the body and in movement and posture. Um, uh, and also, at that time, I was beginning to learn about trauma. So Ron said, why don't you start your own school, your own branch of Hakomi, and call it Hakomi Bodywork. So I did, and I started designing my own trainings. Um, and over the years, it, it just developed into um, um, my own method that draws heavily on Ron Kurtz's work, um, but also has um, other elements that aren't included in Hakomi, primarily the work with uh, trauma and the work we do with movement and resourcing through the body. 
And in nine, I think it was in the mid nineties that I met Bessel van der Kolk and, um, um, Bessel and I collaborated for years and years. We still do to some degree. Uh, and he was a, a major figure in helping me translate my work so that it would be accessible to mainstream mainstream psychiatry and psychology. That's an intense collaboration. Yeah, it was. It was wonderful. We, we had a great influence on each other. He was not a body therapist, and now he is, as we know from his last book, The Body Keeps the Score, and I definitely take credit for that. <laughs> That's a big shift, and it was a powerful work in the literature, both for clinicians and for clients. Absolutely. So what do clinicians or clients themselves, if they've never heard of sensory motor, how would you introduce it to them? I would help them understand that everything we experience, we experience through our bodies, and our body develops habits of response that reflect that experience. So if we have suffered trauma, especially repeated trauma, uh, it lives in our body. Like our shoulders might hunch up, our bodies might be tight. We might be ready to execute any one of those instinctive defensive responses. We might be ready to fight or to run away, to freeze. to cry for help or to collapse into a feigned death response. And because the body develops these patterns, uh, it reflects and sustains our history. So, for example, if somebody who is traumatized and tells us they're living in fear, we're looking at how their body reflects that, and it's usually with hunched up shoulders and wide eyes, like a, a posture of fear. And we're going to have limited success resolving that fear unless we also help the body learn how to relax the shoulders and let the eyes kind of drop back into the head. Um, <clears throat> so the, bo- the, the movement and physiology of the body, the emotions, and our thoughts and belief systems, they all go hand in hand. So we want to work bottom up, starting with the body, which can have a strong effect on emotions and thoughts, as well as top down with with our thoughts and beliefs and emotions. So we integrate those three levels of processing, body processing, emotional processing, and cognitive processing, which is also reflective of uh, the three levels of the brain, the cortex, the limbic system, and the uh, reptilian or subcortical brain. When something like the polyvagal theory explains sort of this is how this piece of it works, you're looking at the full context of the brain and the whole system of it in the body and then what to do about it. Yes, and but so does the polyvagal theory. Um, Steve Porges and I are good friends, and we've also collaborated for years um, and his his theory is extremely compatible with sensory motor psychotherapy because, according to the polyvagal theory, we need to quiet the defensive responses uh, so that the social engagement system can be prominent. Uh, and it's the same, and we do that through the body. Polyvagal theory is, is is all about the body. So we also, in sensory motor psychotherapy, we need to quiet the defensive 
uh, responses, which is why the woman who places her hands on her torso, that's a somatic technique that quiets the defensive responses and allows her arousal to be in the window of tolerance so she can be so socially engaged. So a social engagement system with a ventral vagal complex can, can come on board. So it includes even the piece about how our bodies, how we connect with others as well through that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, because our body, again, participates in everything that we do. So when we're connecting with others, we're connecting with others through our bodies. We're, we're making eye contact, we're reaching out, we're mirroring movements, we're seeking proximity, we're setting boundaries, and they're all somatic uh, phenomena. I'm just trying to process because I know these separate pieces, but when you describe them, like that's really the most integrative experience when you're saying it all fits together. Absolutely. How does a therapist or a clinician, how do they learn more about sensory motor or get trained for that? They can go to our website at sensorymotorpsychotherapy.org. We, we teach all over all over the world, and we also offer workshops. Um, they also can go to our Facebook page where we have little you know, short talks by trainers, and they can find uh, webinars that are open to the public that will be advertised on our Facebook page. Um, and they can Google sensory motor psychotherapy. There's lots of articles. Um, we have two books out so far uh, and are working on books about sensory motor psychotherapy with children, family, and adolescents, with couples, and so forth. So it's still growing, this work. And we have 20, 25 trainers who are very active in teaching and writing, and, um, et cetera. It's really applying to all sort of contexts, not just trauma. Absolutely. And again, because we all have a body, <laughs> so it's relevant to, to everyone, you know. Uh, and it's, it's, our work is, is has a, we have a different focus from talk therapy because we're working with <clears throat> how we organize experience internally. So we're not really working with specific events. We're working with the, our, the effects of those events in our, in our body-mind. So this requires a mindful approach where our clients and our students learn to <clears throat> observe their sensations, their movements, their the images that pop up from their from in their internal state, their emotions and their thoughts. Uh, and that's the organization of experience. So it's not simply talking about uh, it's working with, how we organize experience. So if somebody's talking about a relational issue, say, where they're just not getting the support from their partner, we might ask, well, what happens now as you're talking about not getting support? And that's the organization of experience. And they're likely to say, well, I feel my, my I'm collapsing a little bit. I'm starting to pull in. My body's kind of going limp. That's the organization experience rather than just talking about uh, a situation. So it's a different focus. 
by studying the organization of experience, we're getting kind of at the meta level of what drives the content of our lives rather than just talking about specific content. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I'm just realizing, like, it seems like part, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but just from listening to you, it seems like part of what makes it so effective is that it's not just helping with that one particular thing, but your patterns of interactions with yourself, so to speak. Um, That's exactly right. And it increases your awareness of what's happening in your body, which is what would generalize it to other areas or other moments as you go about your life. That's right. Gabe, if, if, if that client loses her, her postural integrity when she thinks about not getting support, she starts to collapse in her posture, that, that is a pattern she's developed that crosses all kinds of situations. Once she discovers that pattern, uh, she, can, she has a choice. You don't have a choice unless you know what you're doing. Um, but once she discovers what she's doing in her body, that she collapses in the face of feeling like there's a lack of support, um, which generates less support when you collapse, um, she can start to shift that. So it's empowering in that way. It's empowering, absolutely, yeah. What? So what would a client, if they were going to a session with a sensory motor therapist, a trauma client specifically, if they were going to a sensory motor therapist for the first time, what would that look like different? I mean, how would that feel different or look different or experience different besides just the talk therapy, like you were saying? At the beginning of a therapy session, uh, there's always talking. The, the, the client is talking about their issues, talking about what they want to work with, maybe talking about their goals. But then there comes a point in the conversation where uh, it shifts from this talking about to a mindful state of consciousness. So the therapist will say, all right, let's, maybe we should work with that memory that bothers you of, of when your father started molesting you, for example. Okay. So that's what we call a frame. And the client says, yes, that's what I want to work with. So then the therapist will ask a mindfulness question, like that can, there, there are infinite number of mindfulness questions, but questions like, okay, what, so what happens right now when you think about your father? Or what do you notice in your body when you remember being molested? Those kinds of questions take us out of conversation into studying how we organize. So the client might say, well, I'm, 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 I'm tightening up. Uh, my shoulders are tight. My arms are getting tight. Uh, and I'm starting to feel really scared, for example. So we're, we're accessing how the, the body responds, and maybe it's connections with emotions, with thoughts. Uh, but then with the trauma session, we're also trying to um, complete, incomplete, empowering actions. Pierre Genet, who was a contemporary of Freud's, called them acts of triumph. So, for example, in this case, most uh, victims of childhood abuse could not fight back, could not run away, but 
either froze or just collapsed in the face of the abuse. So with a client such as this, we might find out what that tension in her body wants to do because tension is a precursor to action. Uh, and she might discover those incipient active defensive responses that she abandoned uh, fortuitously when she was a child because fighting back, pushing away wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked with a perpetrator who is bigger and stronger than you are. But they, those impulses still live in the body. And that's one of the most empowering elements of this work is that we can re-establish the availability of those empowering defensive responses. So in this case, as the client feels the tension in her body, we might ask, as you sense that tension, you know, in your arms and your hands and your shoulders, see what your body wants to do, but not, not from your thinking mind, from your body see what your body wants to do and we're tracking the body very carefully because the body will often reveal uh, micro movements that indicate a lar the availability of a larger movement so a client's fingers might lift or uh, um, they might the fist might clench and then we want to just help the client reestablish that movement often by pushing against the pillow or making some kind of aggressive action that comes from the body not the mind so that we're really working with body processing helping the body discover and execute the empowering defensive actions that were ineffective at the time of the original trauma acting out of some of the physical responses it is but but not it's not really an acting out it is it is uh, uh, eliciting from the client's mindful awareness of the body. Right, the I mean, as opposed to holding it in. I'm sorry, that was a poor choice of word. But as opposed to holding it in or dissociating from it. Yeah. And maybe an active process is more what I meant of responding and, and letting that be and being aware of yeah. what it is. The important thing is that it's not an idea... I think why I reacted to the word acting out, because you act out in a role play or in psychodrama, you know, you, you act something out. This is, these defensive responses, they live in the body. So they come, they emerge spontaneously from the body. So it, 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 it's a real authentic uh tracking and following what the body wants to do. And what this does is that it can it can redo that memory. We know that memory is reconstructive, and when you're working with a memory and you're adding this action, that memory. Many clients have said that memory will never be the same because now I felt what my body wanted to do and I executed that response. And you're doing it in the present moment, so it's changing the present, but it also opens up possibilities for the future, so that clients find that they have the availability of defensive responses that they had not had available before sensory motor psychotherapy. So there's more flexibility. That's they can't so say no or get away, etc. That's so, it's so liberating. It can be, mm -hmm. absolutely. How does someone who is just starting, who is very, very dissociative, how can they begin to get in 
more in touch with their bodies? What are some of the things that they could do? I think the, the most important thing uh, is to find ways in your in your life that feel good in your body. Things that you do, things that you enjoy, or at least that that maybe even feel neutral. Don't feel bad. Like start to tracking that in your daily life. Like simply. You know, do you enjoy walking on a sunny day? Uh, that's a physical activity that can be pleasurable to some people. Do you, do you enjoy uh, eating certain foods? Do you enjoy playing music? Do you enjoy uh, uh, taking a, a warm bath? To start to just notice the physical things that you do that you do enjoy, but to recognize that if you're highly dissociative, there are going to be parts probably that are really terrified of, of sensing your body. Uh, I think it can you know, certainly help to work with a, an experienced therapist. In, the, in our second book, Sensory Motor Psychotherapy, uh, it's full of exercises that therapists and clients can do together. And there are sections in there that talk about... Uh, um, working with applying this work to people with dissociative disorders. Oh, so that would be helpful. That's a good resource. Thank you. How, how would someone find a sensory motor therapist? Um, if they go to our website at sensorymotorpsychotherapy.org, on the left-hand side, there will... Uh, be a tab that says find a sensory motor psychotherapist and if you click on that tab then you will see a page come up that has countries uh, different countries and you can click on that country like if you click on the United States you'll see then all the states and then you can click on that state and find a therapist in your area in sensory motor psychotherapy is there some touching involved just with the client touching themselves like the or the example you gave of the woman putting her hands on her torso or is there um touch also with the therapist or is that depend on the therapist well yeah touch is never necessary in sensory motor psychotherapy touch from the therapist or or self-touch self-touch touch can be triggering for many traumatized patients even self-touch so it's not a requirement uh, that depends on the, the needs of the client and what's appropriate for that particular therapeutic diet. Why is it that that can be so healing? I mean, obviously I'm talking about when it's done appropriately and safely and with permission and all of that. But why is it that kind of connection in a physical way can be so healing? Well, Beatrice Beebe, who's an infant researcher, she uh, discovered that babies who have mothers with unresolved trauma don't touch themselves as much as babies who don't have mothers with unresolved trauma. And I thought that was really powerful research because babies touch themselves all the time. Children touch themselves. It's, it's, it's a natural way to nourish ourselves. We, you know, we put our hands on our heart, we self-touch, we, we might even, you know, twirl our hair or stroke our, our shoulders, our, our legs. People do this automatically. Uh, um, 
but for a traumatized uh, person that uh, it can be triggering uh, but it all it also can be very healing to reinstate that capacity to nourish yourself with your own self-touch is it a kind of physical regulation like there's the emotional dysregulation and regulation is that a physical expression of it uh well i think it's both i think it's it's emotional and 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 physical and physiological self-touch can often uh, calm ourselves down like think of a baby you know sucking sucking his thumb um or, or rocking himself babies often just rock you know uh, um, all those movements and um touch can definitely be soothing and we want to in sensory motor psychotherapy we want to help clients find that what we call somatic resources so they can soothe themselves and regulate themselves and nourish themselves through their bodies empowering them to do it for themselves and then also it's applied to other areas of their life Yes, well, if you, if you get the uh, capacity to uh, resource yourself through your body, that's, that's a capacity that extends across various contexts. If I'm understanding what you're saying, it sounds like it's something that would help someone feel better in many different ways, even while they're still working on other things as part of the process of working through things in therapy. Yeah. Right. Well, it helps with, with stabilization, which is the first phase of treatment, always to bring arousal within that window. So, yep, that's true. There's hope in that, it feels like, that yeah. to increase someone's capacity to not just handle old things, but to handle things in the present differently. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a big uh, uh, concept in sensory motor psychotherapy, we're not really working with the past. We can't change the past. We're working with the effects of the past on the present moment. That's what we can change. That's a powerful way of saying it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Is there anything else about sensory motor or trauma that you want to share? Well, I like what you said about hope because I think many people who are traumatized have kind of lost hope. Uh, and I think a, a big reason for that is that traditionally we haven't addressed trauma at the level of impact, which is the body, the physiology, and the, the somatic systems. Um, so I think sensory motor can, can offer a lot of hope by targeting directly where trauma makes its most uh, powerful impact which is the body. It gives me a lot to process, and I know that the listeners, both the clinicians and survivors, will have so much to say about it, and it, I feel like, opens up a whole different angle of not just treatment, but a whole different perspective on how to be in tune with ourselves, whether we have trauma or not, and to help each other be in tune with like just the bodies and what you said about the body being an ally is such a complete perspective shift than anything I've heard before on either side of things. Well, that's good. I'm glad that, um, 
I'm glad that you really understand that because I think it's really it's critical in, in healing, not just with trauma, but also with relational issues. Right. I feel like it's a really huge piece and it's in a way not embarrassing. That's not quite the right word, but it seems silly that like we live in our body. Why would we have dismissed it so much to not even think of it as part of the equation? Right. And not to think about our movement vocabulary, the, the way that we move, the movements that are familiar to us, the movements that we uh, don't make. So it's, it's fascinating. I grew up as a person who was just one of the smart kids and just like school was the only thing that I really did well. And I was not an athletic kid. I did not come from an athletic family. But one of the best periods of my life, developmentally, was when I, through a series of circumstances, got involved in ballroom dance, of all things. Oh. And lovely. it was the most healing and powerful thing. Yeah. And it was the first time I was able to just be with myself without, yeah. like, it wasn't about being perfect, and it wasn't about doing anything other than just being me and learning how to be like I, I can't even put words to it still it was so freeing mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the first time to connect with someone else and realize how much the way you interact with someone impacts everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's beautiful I, I think Physical disciplines like dance or yoga or martial arts uh, can be very healing in and of themselves. And what sensory motor psychotherapy does, we take those bottom-up concepts of movement and alignment in the body and integrate them with uh, psychotherapy. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to sit here a while or go for a walk, I guess, to be in tune with my body. <laughs> and process some of what I learned today. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for the conversation, Emma, and um, it was wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening. Your support of the podcast, the workbooks, and the community means so much to us as we try to create something together that's never been done before. Not like this. Connection brings healing. And you can join us on the community at www.systemspeakcommunity.com. We'll see you there.